0: Um, this is just like a lounge room. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did some, some, some rough calculations. I believe we've got about 130 to 140 years of history with God sitting on this couch. Yeah. That's incredible. What we're experiencing today has been largely built by these people here. They represent others, of course, but what we're experienced today was through sacrifice, was through dedication, was through what they paid in the past that we can experience what we are now. This morning, I hope you get more than just information. The goal this morning is that you actually catch something. Is that you actually catch something that is more than just an intellectual thought. If you leave here this morning and you say, wow, Gwen had some mad hairdos back in the day and that's all you leave with? I hope you leave with a little bit more. And so this morning our prayer is that you catch something. You catch something about how this place was built that we can take it into the future. All right, ready to go? Um, For those that don't know, Gwen was like the founding member of this church. And um, I love the fact that she's still in our church. Not only still in our church, but heavily involved and having influence, and, and, and it's just incredible. Um, maybe you don't realise, but Shane's actually a Kiwi. I know, it's hard to think. <laughs> New Zealand just wasn't big enough for him and his family, and uh, many, many years ago, they made the... Sa- it really is a sacrifice. They've left their families and essentially adopted you as their family um, and moved to Australia... Thirty odd years ago, and um, Jared, who we know well, Jared and Debbie were our senior pastors for many years. But it wasn't like Jared and Debbie just blew in six years ago either. Um, They've been faithfully serving. um, Jared's been faithfully serving and Debbie in our church for many, many years. Let's kick this off. Um, Like I said, our church is about 40 years old. And Gwen, I thought you could start with us and just just tell us about how the church was actually birthed.
1: Great. Uh, I probably have to talk a little bit about the context of the day because in 1967 there was a massive outpouring, a charismatic outpouring um, on all the denominational churches, much to the Pentecostals' shock and horror because these people didn't have their theology right but suddenly there were Baptists praying in tongues, there were Catholic nuns and priests dancing in the spirit. There were uh, Presbyterians and Methodists absolutely on fire. And it it was a little bit shocking to the Pentecostals of the day. Obviously, these people's theology wasn't right. Um, But somehow or other, God wanted to absolutely move powerfully across. Uh, It started in America, New Zealand, Australia, England and South Africa... And what was interesting was God did everything that was unexpected and not what you would have thought, and I love that. The other funny thing he did, which was hilarious, he picked the smallest Pentecostal denomination that was least revered by any of the conservative Pentecostals and poured out his spirit in it in 69 and seventy. And out of that came three new Pentecostal denominations and Bible schools, City Point, CLC, and there were others. Um, I, I love the fact that God's a bit cheeky sometimes. He does a whole new thing. And so in this Pentecostal denomination, our pastor and his wife went to see the revival, and it was a church that had 30 in it. It went to 600 in a couple of months people would walk past the door, sense the presence of the Lord, be drawn in, hit the floor under the power of God and come up speaking in tongues. So it was an amazing um, uh, situation. And our pastor and his wife were in the middle of that, loved it. However, there was one thing that bothered them. He didn't see discipleship happening. He saw church and excitement and all of that and touched lives. But there wasn't laying down of foundational truths in these young lives and to keep in touch with practical Christianity. And so he had a heart for this. He pulled out. He and his wife had felt to buy a very large home with six bedrooms in it and they were retirees, so they didn't know what quite they were doing. But in 1973, I happened to visit their home. I moved in. There was another young man there at the time who was 16, his name was Greg. They had contact with the Latter family, um, Clyde Latter's brother and sister and they used to come around to have fellowship. Um, Prayer was a big passionate thing so we prayed together, then others began to come, friends of friends the neighbouring woman next door who was a doctor backslidden came back to God and got filled with the spirit two boys the other side were living in the house they got saved and filled with the spirit Then the one the other side was Lynn Bennett who we all know here she was a teacher and she was invited by these two guys to come to the meeting and so it gradually swelled can we put up the first picture This was a core group. There were many others, many others that came, were dosed with the Spirit of God, operated in the prophetic and took the the life with them into other places. So that's um, Sarah in the middle, Stewie up the back there, very 70s. Um, So that was really how we started in the context of it all happening all around us. This is what there was—a surge of house group meetings, a surge of parachurch things. God was doing different to traditional conservative churches at that time. So that's my section.
0: Yeah, thanks, Gwen. Jared. Shortly after that, you arrived on the scene. Um,
2: what happened for you? Regarding the birth of the church, yeah. uh, okay, that's a wonderful picture to look at. I tell you, <laughs> um, Bert's, Bert's the guy beside Stuart with his eyes looking up, and yeah, there's people people there. That's a really great picture. I came in 1981 towards the end. By that stage, there was already three of the properties purchased here, and which they bought the first property in 78. I guess when I think about the beginning, and often hearing how Bert and Meg uh, would recount. To us how god led them to to do what what god had put on their hearts they were had a combi van and they were traveling up and down to Cairns in their retirement age and doing what you often long to do as you get to about that age you probably think you'd like to cruise up up and down the coastline of Queens, uh, queensland with your wife but Meg, Meg obviously had a real passion to do things for God and Bert really had a, pa- a passion to be used for God. And I guess there was a connection when I think back with they made themselves available. That was the one thing. There was a, Like Gwen was saying, it was really a time when God was moving. It was really a time where there was a wave coming or it had come and it was, there was really, a, you know, and they, they basically said we're not going up and down to Cairns because they used to witness all the time on their way up. They saw lots of people saved, uh, but they felt God, like Gwen said, to buy a house and open it up, and people came and yeah, it grew. It grew as a house church. So I often think, they they just made themselves available and God was wanting to do do stuff, and there was a connection, and um, yeah, there was a real emphasis on things. But I think, uh, as Gwen was saying, Bert's, Bert's passion for discipleship, or his burden—I guess you'd call it more—he had. A, he always, he always leaked that. He always, he was a real dad. He had. He, Meg was his second wife because his first wife had passed away when he was about fifty-three. He'd raised seven kids in Pentecost. They were all on the mission field or doing things for God. He was really in the AOG or the ACC, it's called today. He Was. They were a bit of a a family clan back in the 30s that had gotten saved in those days. So he'd grown up all his life, you know, all his kids were on the mission field. And yet he wanted to just see something fresh and to be current with God. And um, that's what led him. I don't think they ever planned what was here. They just took the next step. And the next step was these young people that God had sent into their house that were eating for two or three years straight every night of the week, seeing the presence of God fall and manifestations and people being saved. Bert's burden was they needed to be grounded. They needed to be discipled. And his life experience was as a farmer. So he thought, I need to get some land and I need to plant them out here and I need to wake them up in the morning and I need to make sure they all get jobs and they're faithful in the little things and they get about living for God that's really rubber meets the road. And that was Bert. He was a real dad and he wasn't, he just got alongside you. And yeah, so that's my sense of it. It was their availability for God, connected with what God was wanting to do, and Bert's passion for uh, discipleship. you know, sort of let him out here to buy a block of land and it just grew from there. Wow.
0: We've heard that it's, there's obviously some fairly intense times of seeking his presence and spiritual development, but also super practical as well, where there was disciplines and things put in people's life and that discipleship. Um, We might flick through a few more photos. Have we got a few more there, Dan? Um, Who can guess who that is on the, on the left, and on the right, Bobby Aitken. Bobby Aitken. Bob Aiken, <laughs> next one,
1: up there is because the, the, you've got to guess who the senior pastor is. Can you see? All
0: right, let's move on. <laughs> Next one.
1: <laughs> uh, this was back in uh Bert and Meg's house and there had been... Uh, Actually, no. We were out at the first farm. And uh, this was probably in around the 80s, 79, 80 period. And um, we'd slightly grown. This was a core group. There were many others, but this was the people who were just there on that day. So there's uh, Hmm. the mob.
0: So good. Have we got any more? There's the... Now... (laughs)
1: The reason why I put them up there: this is the God Squad from Redcliffe Hospital in 1980 to 1984. We were marked as the God Squad because we, uh, for various reasons, and we did have opportunities to lead staff to the Lord and to see patients come to the Lord. Um, we were, we went off to work as though we were called by God. And what was God going to do today? It was so exciting and. Out of that, we saw amazing things happen amongst the staff. Um, Back earlier, a bunch of us were praying in the nurses' quarters at the Royal Brisbane, and we were in the lounge room of the nurses' quarters, and we're singing away in the spirit, and there was just a a few of us, and all of a sudden there's somebody opens the door and says, What are you doing? We said, I'll come right in. We led her to the Lord. She married a guy in our church. She was a missionary in China for 14 years. Wow. So it was a time when... I will talk about that later. I'm trying to stop myself, but I will talk later. Next one. This is when we bought Farm 5, which is where Shane and Carol lived for a while. And this is the group at that time. Um, there were more, but they were the ones who turned up for that day on for the photograph. And you can see uh, a very happy bunch. Mm. Was that about 89? I thought, yeah. Mm. Yep,
0: yep. Wow, incredible. Hopefully you've seen a little bit of insight. Um, Shane, we've been oh, yes. just enjoying all these photos and all this history. Um, you arrived on the scene, but you and your family made a decision to leave New Zealand, of all places. T- t- why would you leave a country and come all the way here?
3: Uh, the weather's really good here. You get sunshine every other day, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, so what happened for myself and Carol at that stage, back in 1989, we had a defining moment. And we, we weren't caught up with too much of the revival that was happening here in Australia, But in our own way, we were really quite passionate for the things of God, as much as we knew. Come from a denominational background, Church of Christ. A little bit different than Australia. But we were left there after seeking God, and we went to the mission field. I know, this is a bit unusual. You thought I was just, you know, someone who could make good coffee. (laughs) So we're in the mission field, and I guess that was our introduction of community. We didn't really know much about it. This is back in 1990. It was just Carol and myself. Uh, we went to a place over in Europe called Mossbach, and then to Belgium. And about 30 years ago, who was born in 1990? Anybody here? Oh, look, my daughter. Hmm. So back in 1990, two weeks before we flew out to go to Europe, I went with $1,500 in my pocket, a lovely wife, and we found out we we're expecting our first child. So we went to Europe, and I was going to preach hellfire and damnation because I was passionate and living for the things of God. But God had another plan for my life. He said, Shane, I want you to go in the kitchen. I said, God, you've got to be kidding me. This is silly. This is not what missionaries do. But that's where I was for 12 months. And how we come to here is because these wonderful people love missionaries. They love to pray. And we were known as the missionaries, the family of the missionaries. So back about August, December, I think it was, in 1990, we packed up um, because we had two options. Option A – was we could go back to um, New Zealand. Carol had a full-time job. I had a position in a church. Or we could come to New Zealand, no job, no money, no income, couldn't get back to New Zealand, and all our money was gone because we were poor missionaries. So what would make sense but to come to Australia? And everyone said, no, it doesn't make sense, but God. So we're purely an answer to prayer, and I guess... That was how we came to here in 1990, and Stacey was four months old. There we go. Who knew
0: all? Who knew all about that? One person. (laughs) Um, We're gonna move gears a little bit. We'll keep moving. Um, Community was a big focus. We've spoken about this, um, Jared. In a, in a few words, how would you describe the community
2: setting? In a few words, yeah. okay. It was a greenhouse effect. Wow, I would say. Yeah. Uh, the regular fellowship we all had. I mean, we were all living. Those were most of us were on the properties here, and we were all living close. So there was a lot of life that we did together. And the, the regular fellowship kept us edified. There was constant encouragement and exhortation. I guess the verse uh, uh, encouraged one another daily. That was definitely our experience. Um, it provided an environment to put the interests of others above your own. Uh, I guess one of the verses I often would hear in that context was the verse about uh, laying down your life for the brethren. And we all had a sense that we, our first call was not to seek our own in, interests first, but to lay down our lives for the, for the welfare of others, you know, all those things. Um, it was probably not unlike growing in a large family, mm-hmm. where you're a lot more rounded off if you've grown up in a family of 12 kids on a farm or something, you know, the stories and the people you've met, well, that was the context for us. Um, You couldn't escape all those one another commands in the scriptures. I mean, they are full of them through the Mm -hmm. epistles. And um, we had a daily chance to live them out. And I guess there was always, just like if you're going to work with people that that weren't your family or you didn't choose, you had little rubbings. Well, there was little rubbings when you're living in a house with five or six guys when you're single or... Deb and I were married and we had our own kids and we had another four or five living in in the house with us. there's always a little bit of, um, yeah, you've got to give and take and I think it helps us to grow and to mature and to be more Christ-like. So, Yeah. yeah.
0: Very good. I've written here that living in such a community requires sacrifice, humility, vulnerability and accountability. Shane, do you want to share maybe your... And of course, there's more than that, but, but those are the ones we wrote down. Um, how have you had to struggle through maybe one of those areas? And how did it shape who you are today th- through that process?
3: Uh, so, one of the elements that I chose here is vulnerability. Um, we're in a slightly different setup, we're in a community, but I could call it Nappy Valley. Uh, sub-community, we had like 10 families. So if you really want to be a good disciple of Christ, have a bunch of kids. That's going to do you a world of good. <laughs> Close community, four duplexes or six duplexes, families. But vulnerability, I guess, for me, I, coming from that um, denominational background, I was a bit skeptical when I originally came here. And I sort of had a bit of Bible knowledge. And I thought, well, I'm not too sure about these people who's really pulling the reins here. So I was a little bit questioning, I suppose, but I guess because we so felt of God to come here and we were willing to um, make ourselves vulnerable to the extent was that uh, because we're in the culture of community and we would be going to ladies' meetings, fellowship meetings, prayer meetings, you'd have two of those. Then you'd have a couple of services on Sunday. So life was church pretty much. And so then there was this sort of undercurrent of expectation of, oh, am I doing this right? Am I good enough? Because we were just new parents. We had three, four, no, one, two, three, four, had no television, five, six, seven, no, four children. (laughs) And so then there was a sort of expectation of how do I actually train these children? I guess you had to be a bit open. You had to allow people to talk into our lives. We had a couple of older couples who had, teenagers so we had some good examples um but yeah we just sort of had to learn to grow um you know it was always the other kids problem our kids are just angels but the rest of the kids my gosh they needed jesus so we were jesus to them <laughs> no no it's not really true we all, all had sort of input to our lives and we really built quite a close relationship i guess that's sort of being vulnerable being open teachable and being open to instruction i guess mm,
0: very good very good One of the things that I guess as a young kid that I, I observed in this church was that, and Gwen, you, you mentioned this before when you showed the photo about um, the, I think it was the five nurses there. Um, one thing I noticed is that you know, back then the, the church didn't have a, a stylish website. There wasn't a the beautiful blue sign out the front. It was literally very organic, it was authentic, it was, it was church, but yet in those early days the place was growing rapidly. Mm. Um, obviously there was, there was a high value for evangelism and sharing your faith as you discussed. Can you just just talk to that a little bit?
1: Well actually when I was looking, looking at it yesterday, there were three things in play that helped the incoming of souls. And one was in the early uh, 70s. It wasn't uncommon for known evangelists to come from America, England, South Africa. They would have big rallies in the city. In the 70s, Billy Graham himself came. And out of that, there would be hundreds, if not thousands saved. That was one aspect. Another aspect was back in 1970, around that time, was people were being saved without anyone else telling them. I, I knew a man who watched The Exorcist and came out and said, there's got to be a God, and so he got saved. So there was God working on people separate to anybody even talking to them. I mean, even when I got saved and got picked up hitchhiking, I asked the people how I could speak in tongues. So there was the, the girl who, when we were all wor- praying and worshipping in the the um, nurses' quarters, the girl came and said, what are you doing? So it... it there was something working in the hunger of people around you. Plus, the third thing was we were believed we were salt and light and all of our going to work, going, meeting people, connecting people, we were edified for whatever God. We built ourselves up in the spirit. We prayed and there was a lot of praying together and focus on all of our outreach, particularly in our work situations. So you didn't go as an ordinary person. You went empowered by the Spirit into your church, your work situation. I, I, I can remember the excitement of getting into the lift on the ground floor, going up to my floor and thinking, ''Oh, God, what have you got? What have you got?'' And, and I would run through the ward at times thinking to myself, ''What's the go, Lord?'' And sometimes I'd forget and I'd begin my work and then something would crop up. Uh, and another example my, I, is I worked in coronary care and nobody was in there except one man who had a particular problem where we had to shock him all the time because his rhythm, heart rhythm would stop. I was the only staff member and so I saw his rhythm deteriorate and he went flat. So I ran to the paddles, pump... Um,
3: Yeah, yeah, placed them on. Oh, nursing's for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then the man was resuscitated again, yet again, yet again. And he opened his eyes, looked at me and said, why do you think I'm getting all these second chances? So, I mean, I didn't initiate that. Yes, I might have got his heart back, but I loved how Mm. the spirit was working in the people. And if I wasn't spirit-filled, I wouldn't perhaps have said... I just sat and waited till everybody else wasn't around pulled up a chair he came to the lord his wife came to the lord and his mm, daughter got saved so and filled with the spirit yeah amen so you it i don't feel like i precipitated that the spirit was working but we had to be filled with the spirit as well you could miss your chances
0: yeah so yeah that's good so so everyone was was on task, they were ready, filled with the Spirit of God to leak it out yeah. and affect, yeah, so good. Um, who wants to hear a good story? Jared, you are the best storyteller. Do you have a funny story for us?
2: Funny story? Yeah. Well, this will give you a little bit of an idea of what church was like when I first came, just, um, just to tell you how I gave up smoking. Um, i i was very addicted to cigarettes when i came i started smoking when i was about 13 and i came here when i was 22 so i was well and truly having trouble with cigarettes uh, i'd gotten saved and got filled got filled fi- filled with the spirit and i was very zealous for god and gave up drugs virtually straight away yeah well, i don't think i ever touched drugs again but smoking was was a bit of an issue and, you know, I'd tried a few times in my life and I was really bound to this addiction. So, anyway, it was about my third weekend here. I'd come up on weekends. I lived on the south side. And there were a very zealous bunch here and there was one guy, Dave Ladder. And Dave was in one of the houses where a few of the guys would stay on the weekend. And... um, and there was another guy that was up at the time, and his name was Bernie, and Bernie was a salesman. And um, uh, Bernie, um, w- while I was at... We were in the house church across the road that night, and we came back to the house, and Dave suddenly says say, says to me, you'll never guess what, Bernie's Bernie's just been delivered from cigarettes, you know, because Bernie had thrown his cigarettes in the bin and said he was free and, and he was going to, you know get rid of them for God and go on for God and I thought oh that's you know that's pretty good and uh, anyway Dave sort of says to me would you like to give up yours as well I said oh yeah you know I was a very compliant sort of person I wasn't gonna make a scene or fight Dave and so you know I sort of thought oh well that's all right I can throw them in the bin I can always get some more when I go back on Monday to back back down to Acacia Ridge back to the Bronx you know so anyway then um Then we get into church the next day, Sunday morning and Dave's leading the little gathering and Dave says, someone here's gotten free, just like you're singing that song this morning about freedom reigns in this place. Well, it'd be like Dave got up and said, who got free last night? And Bernie got up and said, you know, I got free in the name of Jesus and clap, 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 bang, bang, you know, rah, rah, I was all excited and I thought, oh my God, you know, and then... He says, someone else got free too. And uh, I thought, oh, no, you know. <laughs> and so I stood up and, you know, gave a little hand wave and, you know, oh, rah, 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 clap, clap. And then I thought, I can never come back here again <laughs> if I'm not if, if I'm smoking. <laughs> so I decided at that point I'd better give him up. So um, I don't know what you call that, but I just thought that was a bit ironic how God did, did things. I, I often have... I've often been amazed at God's sense of hu- yeah, humour. absolutely. I'll just tell you one other quick thing was the people next door he, that used to have the house next door here was a very interesting guy. There was a lot of alcohol and there was violence. and There was all sorts of things there. And they did not like us meeting next door here singing every nearly four nights a week and worshipping. One night they even, the, the dad and his son came over. I think they were even armed. And uh, ready, ready. Stuart had to go out, and it was lucky it was Stewie that could de, de- uh, e- uh, escalate it. And I had a mate at work who would serve this guy uh, beers in the pub, and uh, he, my mate at work, would tell me all the stories he was saying about us. He did not like us. He did not like our singing. He would burn tyres. He'd do ev- ev- everything, and he would, he would curse us, you know. And anyway. One day, uh, Julie Julie Hose, who's in our church, she was living downtown, and she led another single mum to the Lord, who came to church, who had two little kids, who were the grandkids of this guy, and the little kids used to be coming to the kids' church, and then rock over to see Pop, you know, or whatever he was called. And I thought, isn't God amazing, because we really prayed for our neighbours, and and anyway, so that's, I often think God's got a sense of humor, how he does things. Absolutely, Yeah, well, that was Richard. great.
0: <laughs> By the way, these guys have all got stories. So over morning tea, there's a good chance to settle up beside them and say, Shane, what was your story? So, but, but we don't have time this morning. Sorry. <laughs> it would be amazing, I'm sure. But Shane, I do have one for you. Growing up in this church, one of the responses that I often heard and growing up used to hear time and time again was that people came to this church and said, there's a manifest presence of God. It's not just something that was um, hyped up. It was literally a, a manifest presence of God. Um, did you have an experience like that when you came? And what, what was your uh, experience with the presence of God?
3: Okay, so God really had to... Do a number of me because, as I mentioned earlier, I was a bit skeptical. This is a weird bunch of people, right? Yes, they're passionate about God, but they'll do some weird things. But my experience, it wasn't, it was probably the first Sunday here actually. I was sitting pretty much where I am now this morning, so I haven't really changed too much. I know I haven't quite radical. But my experience of the Holy Spirit was my initial call to God was to go, you know, preach hellfire and damnation. Had one child, came here, but it was a really sweet presence here in the meeting, pretty much like we've had for you know, a number of years still now. And the Holy Spirit really spoke to me. And at this stage, I still wasn't even filled with the Holy Spirit. It was, what I want you to do for the next season of your life, so 20 years, is to be a father to your children. So, I guess that was... It sort of took me over. I thought, that can't be right, you know. I'm an evangelist, not really. (laughs) I was a father first, and I thought, well, if I can do that, then that's a good thing. And so now it's, you know, 20, 30 years down the track, and I still think it's the best thing. So for me, there must be onions out there or something. Um, (laughs) For me, I guess the really practical sense of it was that we need to do something to care for my family, my kids, my grandkids and this place provided it the holy spirit enabled me to do that when i got filled with the holy spirit it was actually just next door where josh josh and cruper lived and there was another lovely guy who was a nurse as well and um it was quite a special time and it was something that happened often it was a regular occurrence but there was quite a dramatic transformation i mean me normally myself i'm very quiet conservative i'm very quiet conservative Okay, I used to be very quiet and conservative, but as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, that was one of the big things that really impacted me, apart from wow. um, just being so sensitive to what the Holy Spirit would say to me. I had one direction, one desire in my life. I gave up everything in New Zealand and asked my wife to do the same, and God would have me to look after my family. I thought, now there's a good calling, right? Yes. Any wow. volunteers?
0: Incredible. One thing that, uh, just as people have been talking, is one thing that I've picked up so far is that the sacrifice. Shane shared about it, about the fact that he had dreams and desires and all of a sudden God comes along and says, hey, how about you align your dreams with mine for your life? And the simple yes in that moment was so profound that him and these guys and everyone else that they represent has been left a legacy and we're building upon that. So thank you. Thank you for the yes. We're talking about his presence um, and how much of it was a focal point of this church. Um, we do we do see a link in scripture with his presence and purity and holiness. Gwen, can you talk about that? Um, what, it, it was obviously a value that our founding pastors had on this purity, this holiness, and... Um, the fact that that was a big part of what we were seeing and Mm. and his presence here? Uh,
1: There was a real holiness emphasis. Um, Living for Christ wasn't cheap. It wasn't something you just did with your mouth. Other people had to observe your Christianity. If they couldn't see Christ in your life, then it was pretty dubious that you knew the Lord. So, uh, if loving your neighbour loving God, all of that, they, these were indicators and the pastor and his wife were very astute at observing and helping you along if you had deficiencies and um, encouraging you to press on. I will not forget I was doing midwifery and I started in 1979 at, at Redcliffe Hospital but it meant that I had to go down to the nurse's quarters and stay there. And so I was away from the pastor and his wife's house. And the message of the pastor's wife as I walked out the door was, don't you get down there and be selfish. So I went down and on the first night there was no television anywhere and I'm sitting in the room thinking, what do I do when there was a mission magazine on the bench? And I thought, oh. So I started reading it. I wrote six letters to six missionaries all over the world asking how I could help. Wow. three of them wrote back and one of them the wife of one is right here Oh, why
0: don't we give Vajara a hand <laughs>
1: <Woo-hoo! Yay! laughs> so I wrote to six three answered I visited Bangladesh the other one was Lorraine Dirk and I visited Thailand the other one was in South Korea and I visited there and an English missionary came and stayed here for a month and um, so ah, selfishness or unselfishness precipitated mm. what god was wanting to do mm. and so we we as jed said earlier selfishness was like worse than immorality you had to live to serve to bless And I remember going off uh, to Korea in 1980 and the scripture God charged me with was, he that diligently seeks the good of others will obtain favour from both God and man. It saturated my soul and so washing people's feet. When I went anywhere overseas, my mindset was, what can I do? How can I bless them? What do they need? And that, I would say, was passed on to us that mindset was strongly advocated selfish and got to remember most of us were were single at the time some got married then other families came but for me as a single person living in community for 30 years was fantastic it had its downsides yes I know there were challenges I had to die lots of times I had to die Um, and the Lord would say something to me and whatever Mm. but it but on the other hand, it was extremely fulfilling for me as a single person because I didn't hardly remember that I wasn't married through those 30 years because you were so involved in people's lives and trying to meet needs of other people that it was a magnificent Incredible. aspect of my life, really. Wow, wow, wow. So.
0: Very good. Jared. would you be able to just talk to us around this deal of presence? Um, it was obviously such a... Presence, presence of God. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 you know, yeah. What what brought it to such a unique point in our church?
2: Um, there was definitely something sovereign, and some uh, there was a presence of God here that I think was the most attractive thing for me as a young Christian. I came here, I got spirit filled here my first weekend. I believe I was delivered or whatever. I had a real encounter. with the Lord, and the presence that was here. I just, I just wanted that. That, that was the priority, probably for me, coming back. Um, And there was a real link with um, uh, uh, holiness, uh, separating ourselves to God, being totally sold out for Him. Things like Like sacrifice, uh, living living a, a a life that was dedicated to God. All those things, I believe were 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 attractive to the lord it's like uh it's like how fire fell on the sacrifice you know it's it's all it's all all those things there was a fire here there was a presence here and because of that stuff happened and people did get free i can remember even years down the track we were a little bit on the fringe cuz we were out of town here we were so separated from the world sometimes we were a little bit sort of uh, on the fringe and thought we we're a bit you know a bit too tight but we had something there were people that would come ministers came sometimes and they'd never come and they'd be here at a night me- 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 meeting and they'd say things like this is the best kept uh secret in caboolture you know and we did have something and i believe it's still here and god would want to blow on it more is that there's there's a real presence you know and i think we thirsted for that and we longed for it and we didn't want to live without it no. it was like the it was like the candlestick you know if that's going out if the canary's not singing in the room you know mm-hmm. we're yeah we're worried yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah we um
0: Just as we finish up now, we might try and keep this to two minutes. Shane, we might get you to start with your final charge, a few final comments or a scripture that you'd like to share. Um, We've obviously reflected back in the past, but um, yeah, we're looking forward to the future and we we want to um, uh, build upon the foundations in our history but what would you like to say to encourage um, yeah, our church family here this morning?
3: I can be really quick. Um, it still is, rings true today, pretty much what we've shared, that we need to have a passion where we can persuade others of the love of Jesus for each individual. If you want to get a whole scriptural context, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there is a purpose. He's prepared us each individually for what he has in store for each of us to build this church um, and to be evaluating others or be others seeking or how, like Gwen mentioned, how can we serve someone else? How can we make their life better today? Very good. Very good. Gwen? Uh,
1: I, was, I felt prompted to have a... Thank you. I felt prompted about the scripture in Isaiah 42.9 and it says, See, the former, the former things have taken place, and the new things I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. And the point there was that I loved God's, the heart of God, that He, he announces to us, He lets us know what He's going to do. Mm. Before the charismatic renewal, there were two fantastic prophecies given in the early 60s that forecast the whole charismatic renewal. I believe in uh, Acts 2, um, like I believe God loves to download what's on his heart, what's on his mind and what he intends to do mm. and what his plans are. And when I read Acts 2 again, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all people in the last days. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Get that into your head. <laughs> your sons and your daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions your old men will dream dreams even on my servants both men and women I will pour out my spirit in those days and I believe God is going to increase our prophetic standing as a church I believe he's going to release the prophetic amongst us it 's already started but it 's going to develop because it says in uh, Corinthians all may prophesy mm. and Prophesying is downloading the heart and the mind of God and His plans. Mm. So I believe He wants to enrich us, to fill us with the Spirit enough to where we start to rec- We we recognize what He's doing in this present day. We say yes, this is mm. what we want to go with. This is what we want to work with. We don't want to be people who God's moving like those old Pentecostals. He's moving somewhere, and we don't. We're not sure about it all. We're just separate. Mm. So I believe we want, will be those people that will register with what God's doing and saying.
0: Amen. Amen. Very good. Yes. Jared.
2: Well, this, I, thought, I read this question that you had and a verse came to me within wow, less than a second. And um, I really believe this. And it's from Haggai. The, the glory of this latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And I uh, always believe, you know, God, God is always wanting to take us forward. Uh, and uh, it's really great what we're doing here today, looking back. And I often think, you know, because there's, some, there's some, some things when I look back, they weren't all, all good. And I often think of that verse, you know, um, hold on to what is good. And, you know, tests, it, say, it says to test all things, to prove all things, hold fast to what is good. Just let go of the things that are not profitable. But I really believe God is always wanting to take us forward, wants to take this church forward, and the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former. God's always doing a new thing. He's always doing a better thing. The new covenant is a better covenant. Um, The days that are ahead are better than the days that have gone before. Uh, We're not going to be nostalgic. We're going to be... God always wants to take us forward and it's interesting, I thought on that, the second temple that was built, because that was about the temple, and the second temple that was built after the ex- exile was not as glorious in size or stature as Solomon's. It wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't anywhere as, as good, but that was the temple that Messiah came to. It says, Messiah shall come to his temple. And, and Pentecost brought in an even more new and glorious temple, one that was made uh, not with hands but, but with living stones. And I, I, it's great to look back for patterns and principles and truths and foundation stones, like Ben's saying, that we're going build, to build, build, build on. But being no doubt, what God will do will be different. And it will be more glorious and it'll be better than, the, than what's gone before. So that's my encouragement.
0: How many know that the building might look different, but the foundation's the same? And um, we have the privilege now, it's our turn, to run the race hard. We've heard about the sacrifices, we've heard about the dedication, we've heard about what God's done in the past... And the great thing is, while it's our turn, it means that these guys are a big part of that still in the future. And so thank you. Um, Why don't we give them all a big hand for what they've shared this morning? (laughs) Did you catch something this morning? Awesome. We, We honestly could go on for hours more. And I know that these guys, I've really trimmed it down. I've really had to both in the questions, but then we've trimmed it down even more. But the reality is that I hope you've caught something this morning. I hope it's more than just a great story or an intellectual thought. I just pray that as you've even been sitting here, Holy Spirits, something's been said and it pierced your heart. It's like, hey, this is what I'm called to. And so that concludes our service for today. Um, We just want to make time for people, if you would like prayer for anything, if you need a breakthrough in your body, if you need someone to agree with you in prayer, the Lord did amazing things this morning, but how many know that's not finished? And so we're going to spend some time. We're going to close the meeting, but we're going to open up the front. If you want someone to stand with you and believe for anything in your life right now, come forward and we want to agree and pray together. Amen.